everyone, I just wanted to give a little disclaimer. While um, recording this episode, my computer crashed and all of the audio from my side was deleted, so I am re-recording it and then editing it together, so if it seems a little weird, that's why. So let's begin. Welcome to Creepy Crime Podcast, a podcast where two friends tell each other creepy stories. I'm Allie. And I'm Creighton. (laughs) How are you doing this week, Allie? I was about to ask you the same question. I'm good. Um, very tired of quarantine. I think most of America is. Yeah, I'm very tired of it. Everything's been a little crazy here. Ready to be able to go back to normal? Revolting because they're not really revolting. They're protesting. Stay at home orders. I don't know. I saw a post somewhere about a Michigan militia, which would be considered a revolt. And For the economy not to be going, for you not to be doing your regular stuff, not getting your regular money, having bills pile up. And a lot of people are saying, and see, the disease isn't doing anything. But my problem is, if stay-at-home orders are successful, the disease isn't going to do anything. That's the reason for the stay-at-home orders. I know, just stay at home and we'll nip this in the butt. We took the dogs for a hike the other day to get some sunlight, get some exercise, get the dogs out of the house, and it was so stressful because the amount of people that were at the canal on the trail, and they were like coming up so close, it wasn't even relaxing, it wasn't enjoyable, it was just stressful. Like, at all? Like, did the dogs at least get enjoyed or were they stressed out because of the people? Annabelle was stressed out because the number of people and how close they were passing by. Bean was pretty okay with it. Anyway, what's new with you? What's going on? What have you guys been up to? Nothing much, really. Um, Once again, I'm considered an essential worker, so life really hasn't changed that much for me, except for trying not to touch my face, which is obviously like my second favorite hobby. And um, also, like going to stores is odd. Because now all the stores have really odd hours as they try to cut back on time exposed for employees and things like that. So... Yeah, and both you and Adam work weird hours, too. Yeah, like me and Adam both work weird hours, which is perfect for us because we work almost the same schedule. But as far as, like, shopping and all, if me and Adam have to go shopping now, we have to get up, like three hours earlier than we normally would to get all of our stuff done because nothing's open when we get off. That sucks. Yeah, so everything had to be done before work and we're not morning people. Like, I'm not mean in the morning, but I don't want to do shit. And Adam is mean in the morning. Um, just throwing that out there. Well, I just got a text because I sent Carl to the grocery store and he's not sure exactly what to get. From Carl? Yes, because I put coffee on his grocery list, and he doesn't drink coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. So I had him take a picture, and he sent it to me, and I circled the one that I wanted so that he would get the right coffee. (laughs) Circled it and sent it back. Yeah, it seemed like the best way, and then I just got another text from him because he can't find the evaporated milk, which I need for one of the recipes, so I just told him to get cream. It's over in the baking items. I know this, but I'm not at the store. Are you going to make evaporated milk? No. I'll just use cream instead. I don't know how to make evaporated milk. Oh. I was about to say, I don't know how to make evaporated milk. I know how to make condensed milk, 
but that shit takes forever and it's annoying. Uh, have you ever made condensed milk? No, but I watched a Bon Appetit YouTube video where Claire did and oh my goodness. Yes. When she started on it, I was like, oh, you're going to be stirring forever. And then she made that unique contraption. I was like, son of a bitch. I wish I had the stuff around here to make that. That's why I don't make things with homemade. I know. I was sitting there watching her make that contraption. I was like, that's going to take her just as much time as it would to make the cream. And then it took longer. Right. And also, if she messes it up, she's got to do it again. So... I don't know. It, it all turned out well for her. Uh, it's those little things that have been making this week bright for me. Between watching Bon Appetit on YouTube and podcast, um, have you found anything since you've been quarantined to keep you busy? Well, I've become kind of addicted to Animal Crossings and playing it constantly, so that's been keeping me busy. Right. I play it way too much, but it's just so cute and calming. Yeah, uh... How far have you gotten your house? Have you gotten a multiple expansions yet? Yes, so I have the upstairs room, but I don't have the basement yet. Oh, I didn't even know you got a basement. I'm still, like, on the very first house. I haven't moved up yet. Yeah, I'm just about to get my 10th villager in, so that's exciting. Oh. I am on number six. Ooh, I want to see your island. I know. After we do this today, I'll have to open it up and invite you over. So, are we ready to start? I think so. I think we have some pretty exciting stories this week. I'm going to go first since the last episode that we uploaded was just your entire episode. Okay. Well, I'm perfectly fine with that, too. Okay, so instead of doing a full deep dive into one case, I decided to do a deep dive into a region, and then I'll tell you three smaller cases. All right. Okay, so I did research on the Bridgewater Triangle. I have never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. The Bridgewater Triangle has been called the Bermuda Triangle of the Northeast, being placed just south of Boston. There are three towns that form the edge of the triangle with Bridgewater in the center, and then four other towns around the triangle are considered to be part of the Vortex. So what is the Vortex? The vortex is an area filled with unexplained paranormal activity. There is record of these paranormal experiences dating back all the way to the 1700s, where it was recorded that a ball of fire was seen in the Bridgewater area that was brighter than the sun. You know, I don't know. I guess technically it wasn't described as an explosion because I feel like that would be in the detail because right like i mean and they know what an explosion is but i i'm gonna be honest i don't quite i guess it could be something like a meteorite but that doesn't yeah like i don't know that it's necessarily paranormal and not just something else well no if it's like a meteorite or something it's not or you know there's um There's been examples here in the South of uh, what they call like ghost lights and all in swamps being methane gas that got ignited as it was released from the swamp from various things. And, um, And I do believe that there are stories, I would have to go back and look through some of my books, of like larger explosions and balls of light coming out of the swamps 
which is where like a bunch of methane caught fire during storms. Yeah, so I mean it could be something like that, but I don't know how swampy the area around Boston, Massachusetts is. Okay, so one of the towns that makes up part of the triangle has a famously haunted forest called the Freetown Fall River State Forest. It is said that many mutilated animals' remains have been found at this forest and thought to be the site of satanic cult rituals of not just animal sacrifices but also possible human sacrifices. There have been many recorded murders within the bounds of the forest and many suicides, so we'll come back to that at the end. The town Freewater was home to to a Native American tribe who is now has a reservation around the area. That's weird. I wonder if the Native Americans have any legends uh, surrounding it. Oh yeah, they have a lot of Native American legends and myths and lore. It would be a really interesting one for you to look at. Really? This Native American tribe has a long and unhappy history in Freetown but it also has some insights into what is in the Freetown Fall River State Forest. All right, so what do they think it is? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, there are said to be creatures that appear troll-like and have been known to this tribe for many years. Is there a description of these trolls? I, I don't know what they're called. They just call them troll-like. I also don't know what they look like. Just troll-like. Well, because the reason I ask is because there are several, um, and you know, I do my other podcast, Oh Dear Lore, and we study myth and lore. Um, and we've been looking at some doing some, uh, some Sasquatch episodes. These troll-like creatures are thought to be hateful and have been known to intentionally startle people, throw rocks or sand in their faces, push or shove them, kidnap them, hurl them from cliffs, wrestle with them, or even attack them with knives or spears. Would attack them, the troll-like creatures? Some of the things they did match up with what other cultures say that the Sasquatch will do to you, is why I was asking. So, one of these cliffs or rock formations is thought to when you stand on it, it's thought to give you a major urge of wanting to just jump off and commit suicide. So they think that is these little creatures trying to push you, which is creepy. Um, wow. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to have to look into that one, like deeper into their myths and all. Yeah. So another area of the state forest, the ledge, is home to the UFO sighting by then-Governor Ronald Reagan. So this was before he was president. I thought that he was a governor in California. Well, yeah, he probably was governor of California, but maybe he was visiting Massachusetts. I don't know. This is all I found on this whole sighting thing was that it was Ronald Reagan while he was governor. Oh. Well, that's odd. That's all I know. (laughs) The Bridgewater Triangle... Not only is known for paranormal and unexplained happenstances, but also for strange murders. Right, well, I mean, technically it sounds like those creatures are murdering people already by having them think they want to throw themselves off the rocks. I figured while I couldn't find a bunch of details about any one murder, I could tell you about a few, but we may revisit one of these cases in a later episode, because 
I found it very interesting and I want to look more into it. Just have not yet. So, a 15-year-old Mary Lou disappeared riding her bike near her home. After her disappearance, a nine-week search ensued and sadly ended with her body being found hung in the Freetown Fall River State Forest. Like strung up in a tree type of hung? So they said that it was a ligature that was around her neck and that was um, hung on a tree. So I don't know if he strangled her and then hung her up or if he hung her with the ligature or what. And I guess you could have technically done it yourself but so a man named uh a man james cater was arrested for murder and while he never admitted to the murder and his conviction was overturned a few times after the fourth trial his conviction stuck and he died in prison in 2016 how how does your conviction get overturned a few times so his conviction wasn't he had multiple trials so like he had a mistrial and then Oh. He was um, released, and then he had a mistrial, and then, you know, there was, like, four different trials, and on the fourth one, they were finally, like, convicted for life. Got it. Got it. I'm on board now. Yeah. I'm not sure he did it, though. We'll talk about it later. So, he was arrested while he was on parole for um, attacking another young girl. But he never admitted to Mary Lou's murder. So I'm not... I don't know. Again, I didn't look that far into it. So there could be more details. But I just don't know. That's a really flimsy basis. Um... Okay. So. In 2015, the bodies of two murdered women were found stacked on top of each other in the Bridgewater Triangle area. Retired FBI profilers were asked to look at the case and determine the murders were done by the same person and the killer was likely to strike again. So the article that I read about this, these were slightly older um, articles and this one had been updated, hadn't been updated since 2016 so I don't know if things have changed, but as of then, yeah, no one had ever been tried for these murders, and no other murders had been linked to these two. So, like, there hasn't been any other murders that could be positively linked, or hasn't been any that are thought to be linked at all? No, so the police did not find any that they thought could be linked to this. Oh, okay. So, like, the police don't think any of them are connected to these. Yeah. And then one last one. This one we might revisit in a later episode. Um, the serial killer Carl Drew, who referred to himself as Satan, used his occultism to keep women in line. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's ever a good thing when you refer to yourself as Satan, and I'm also not going to refer to him as Satan, because... No, I think that referring to yourself as Satan really just seals the deal, lets you know everything. Oh, that's completely fair. So as a weird satanic, satanistic cult leader, Drew acted as a pimp using women to torture and murder women who had crossed him in some way. Oof. Damn. Yeah, it is horrible. It's really gross. So Drew had been theorized to be the 
true murderer of 15-year-old Mary Lou as she was related to Drew. Like, how was she related? Yeah, I don't know how they were related because, again, not much details. I'll have to look into it. But it does say that they were related, which is kind of weird. Drew and his accomplices were discovered when one of the women working for him confessed to witnessing two murders. All the dead bodies of the women that were victims of Drew and his crew were found in the surrounding area of the Bridgewater Triangle. Drew and his accomplices are serving life in prison. But that's really weird. So, like, what years was this? Um, let me look up when this happened. Like, that he was, I guess you'd call it active. Okay, so 1979 through 1980. <gasps> I've heard of this guy before. I, I don't know if it was a cold case episode or random research or maybe it was my favorite murder. I don't know. But I know for a fact I've heard of this guy. I just didn't know anything about the Bridgewater Triangle. I, I find the satanic panic and the... Act- Yeah, right during the satanic panic, which is kind of crazy. Oh yeah, this was right in the middle of the satanic panic, wasn't it? So, I I find that time period very odd. Or, not odd. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Because it reminds me of the same, like, the Red Scare. Um, things like that, to where just mass hysteria labels people. And so, I, like, I know for a fact... That he wasn't following, like, the Church of Satan. Because I have done some research for a future episode of my other podcast on that. And they're not about, like, pain to other people. Really. Yes, but in his head he was following Satanism. Right, right, right. Which, I mean, technically is the only thing that you need to really follow your religion, I guess. But... I'm just saying, he's not officially connected with the Church of Satan and their teachings. They have such an odd belief system, uh, coming from a Christian standpoint. Um, okay, so what do you think? With the whole COVID-19, are we going to see something similar to the Satanic Panic with, like, in the history of how crazy everyone went about COVID-19? I don't think so, because... The coronavirus is actually happening. Yes, but the panic is very similar. I mean, it. I mean, it's possible, but I mean, it might be. But see, like the thing that really defines like the Red Scare, which is where um, they were trying to snuff out any communist in America, is that they were taking anybody that had ever even went into a communist meeting, whether they just went in there because they were serving free coffee and they were homeless or not. Like, if you signed a log at any point, even just to go to one of their seminars to listen to their ideas, Congress was rounding you up to ask you questions, and a lot of people lost their jobs, their livelihoods. There are several um, directors, actors, um, and other famous people who were really popular and really, really well-known that got called in by Congress because they were popular and well-known. They weren't even communists, but their entire careers were ruined. They couldn't even work in Hollywood anymore afterwards. And the same thing with the satanic panic was that there was a lot of things that police were saying, oh, this definitely was a satanic ritual, like they would find someone murdered or something like that. 
when in all actuality, a lot of the murders that they were attributing to it had nothing to do with Satan, Satanism, nothing. It just had to do with some sick individuals. So, I, I think we're definitely more into the vein of like the 1918 pandemic or the Black Plague or something like that in the future than we are the Satanic Panic. True, true. It should follow the pandemic examples. Yeah, like I said, the coronavirus is actually happening. Like, you're not getting a whole lot of fake news reports about the uh, coronavirus that are just stirring up mass panic. You're getting a lot of altered, mostly true, mostly influenced news stories about the coronavirus that are stirring up panic. It's different. So is it going to be in the history books? Oh, probably. I mean... It's kind of like I just found out the other day that, like, 9-11 is no longer told as recent history. Um, because I think they, I think in the article I was reading, the hallmark for 9-11, for recent history is 15 years in the past. Wow. And that means I was alive during something that wasn't recent history, and that makes me feel bad. Makes me feel old. I know, right? But, uh, I don't know. That is a lot, that is a lot of weird things happening in that one area. Yeah, and I just did a brief overview slash introduction to the Bridgewater Triangle. I'm cool with that. So, uh, what else you got on the Bridgewater Triangle, or is that it? That is it. I decided just to do a short, weird one today. I am perfectly okay with short, sweet, and weird, because... Now I'm just fascinated. I'm going to have to go and see if I can find more myths and legends from that area. Um, You will definitely be able to find more. Oh, probably will. And I will tell y'all about that if we do an episode on it. And y'all can come over to the other podcasts and listen. Um, Alright, so I guess it's my turn. And mine's not really long. Um, But I decided to do a home state murder. So... This one is actually from Alabama, and it is, it is a woman who murdered multiple people. So, basically, her name is Amy Bennett, and you may remember her because in 2010, there was a shooting done at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and it killed three faculty members and wounded three others, and the suspect was a professor at the college. Oh, goodness. So, let's just start a little bit with the history of Amy Bennett. So, uh, sorry, not Amy Bennett, Amy Bishop. I don't know why I have been calling her Amy Bennett all day, but her name is Amy Bishop. Ugh. So, she was born in April the 24th, 1965, in Brainridge, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. What is going on in Massachusetts? There's a whole lot of craziness. I know, right? And now, by all accounts, she was a highly intelligent woman. Her father was a professor in the art department, and she had her PhD in genetics from Harvard University. Wow. So, basically, when uh, she was at Harvard in 1993, she wrote a thesis that was titled The Role of Methotaxin and the Respiratory Burst of the Phagocyte. 
and it was 137 pages in length. So, she had research interest that included the induction of adaptive resistance to the nitric oxide in the central nervous system and the utilization of motor neurons for the development of neural circuits grown on biological computer chips. Now, mind you, I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds really, really smart. It is really, really smart. So, she published at least four other scientific articles between 1994 and 1998 as a lead or co-author. So, she joined the faculty of the Department of the Biological Sciences at the University of Alabama in Huntsville as an assistant professor in 2003. And she was teaching five courses prior to the shooting. Previously, she was an instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. And Bishop and her husband competed in the technology competition and developed a portable cell incubator, coming in third and winning $25,000. Progeny... Wait, so why did she leave Harvard? I don't know. Like, I couldn't find an answer to that. I don't know if her husband got a different job or what but she decided to come to the University of Alabama and to be fair the University of Alabama has been known to pay their professors like really well so they might have poached her true um so basically according to a friend and fellow member of a writing group in Massachusetts Bishop had penned three unpublished novels of which featured a female scientist working to defeat a potential pandemic virus which is what made me think of this and struggle maybe she started the coronavirus pandemic no she did not because she's in jail and not in wuhan um and basically not only with the scientists working to defeat a pandemic but she was struggling with suicidal thoughts at the threat of not earning uh earning her tenure at the college where she was working now she is also the second cousin of the novelist john irving and was a member of the Hamilton Writers Group while living in Ipswich, Massachusetts in the late 1990s and apparently saw writing as her ticket out of academia, so she didn't even want to teach, really. She had a liter... If she didn't want to be a teacher anymore, then why was she worrying about tenure? I, I think she might have just wanting to be the best that she could be and wanting to keep her job because, you know, tenure really does protect and isolate you from a lot of things. So if you're not getting out of academia yet, you'll want tenure. So she had a literary agent and members of the club said that she would frequently cite her Harvard degree and family tied to Irving to boost her credential as a serious writer, which I don't know if you know this, but if you don't have a degree in writing or literature or English or anything of those sorts, but you're writing literary fiction, your science degree does help with that, but it does not make you the end-all and be-all. And being a writer's cousin is like me saying that my dad is an electrician. Uh, you don't want me wiring up your house. Yeah, I know a few things. I learned a few things through the family, but uh, still, you don't want me wiring up your house. Just wanted to throw that out there. Like, I'm not impressed when people try to throw family ties. You have to do your own damn living in this world. Um... So, another member described Bishop as smart but abrasive in her interactions with other members and as feeling entitled to praise. Which may explain why she is stressing over tenure. If she's already entitled to praise, 
or it feels that she's entitled to being praised as she feels superior, then it probably extremely irked her that they didn't want her to be there full time with tenure. So, basically, it was explained by the university president, Williams, that Bishop would deny tenure in March of 2009 and expected not to have her teaching contract renewed after March 2010. She appealed the decision. Well, yeah, if you don't get tenure, you're normally a reason because no one likes you, and so they want you to leave. Right. So, she appealed the decision to the university's administration, and without reviewing the content of the tenure application itself, they determined that the process was carried out according to policy and denied the appeal, which frustrated her. Well, yeah, no one liked her. Yeah. So, basically, um, she had a meeting inside uh, of the day of the shooting with other professors after she was denied um, tenure and her classes and all were coming up. So she, uh, she made it most of the year, but during the staff meeting, she pulled out a gun and shot six of the members of faculty of her own department. Wait, what? Right. And so it killed three of them and left three injured and happened to go to the hospital. Uh, Afterwards, she turned the gun on herself and shot herself. Now, I knew this part of the story, mainly because I'm from Alabama. I've lived here my whole life, except for going off to college in South Carolina. But... Wait, was she successful in completing suicide? Yeah, no, she was. Uh, no, I'm sorry. She was not successful in killing herself. They stopped her. Yeah, no, like, she's in jail right now. Yeah, sorry. I, I meant to say that she tried to kill herself. But anyways, um, she went ahead, and the police, after the thing, went around trying to interview people. So they talked to some of her students. So the day of the shooting, Bishop taught her anatomy and neuroscience classes, And according to a student in Bishop's class, she seemed perfectly normal during the lecture. She then attended a biology department faculty meeting in the room 369 on the third floor of the Shelby Center for Science and Technology, which is where there was 12 to 13 people. And uh, they say that she sat quietly through the meeting for 30 to 40 minutes, which would make me want to pull out a gun and shoot myself but not other people. So just before four o'clock, when she pulled out the gun and started the fight at the shooting, um, then according to one of the survivors in the room, that, uh, hold on, I lost my place. Her name is Deborah Moriarty, Dean of the university's graduate program and a professor of biochemistry. This wasn't a random shooting around the room. This was execution style. Those who were shot were on one side of the oval table used during the meeting, and the five individuals on the other side had uh, dropped to the floor. After Bishop had fired several rounds, Moriarty said that Bishop pointed the gun at her and pulled the trigger, but only heard a click as her gun either jammed or ran out of ammunition. She described Bishop as initially appearing angry and then following the apparent weapon uh, malfunction perplexed. She said um, that she then attempted to, that Moriarty 
then attempted to stop Bishop by approaching her and asking her to stop and then helped the other survivors push Bishop from the room and block the door. So, um, a lot of the people who survived said that Moriarty was probably the one person in the room that saved everyone else's life because she is the one who started the rush to get her out of the room. She's a badass bitch. Right. So, afterwards, uh, after she was arrested, um, Bishop was quoted as saying, it didn't happen. There's no way it happened. When asked about the death of her colleagues, Bishop replies, there's no way. They're still alive. So, I don't know if it was like a mental breakdown or what, um, but I do know that she did not, she was not found mentally incompetent in court. Now, Shortly after her arrest, people at the university de- uh, biology department expressed concern to the police that she had booby-trapped the science building with a quote-unquote herpes bomb intended to spread the virus, which, out of all the viruses you could spread, herpes isn't really the one that I'm super concerned about. Like, I mean, it's definitely something to be concerned about, but it's not the top of my list. Yeah, like, what the heck? Right, and plus, what an... Uh, and the, uh, the reason that they thought this is that she had previously worked with the herpes virus while completing her postdoctoral store studies, and a novel she had wrote described the spread of the virus similar to herpes throughout the world, causing pregnant women to miscarry. What is her issue? Like, this, this was a mentally sick individual with a lot of problems. Yeah, but even though people were worried, the police uh, had already searched the premise. They had only found the handgun that was used in the, in the shooting. Nothing else. So, basically, there was a lot of things that should have been red flags in Bishop's past. So, at the age of 21, when she was still living inside of uh, Braintree, Massachusetts, uh, she fatally shot her 18-year-old brother, Seth Bishop, on December the 6th, 1986, at their home, the incident in which Bishop fired at least three shots from a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, one into her bedroom wall, then one into her brother's chest while they were in the kitchen with their mother, and then one into the ceiling of, the, of a room in her house while fleeing the scene. Later, she pointed the weapon at a moving vehicle on the adjacent road and tried to get into the vehicle. Now, this accident was classified as an accident by the Braintree police. Wait, how old was she when this happened? She is 21. And her brother was 18. In the statements... Then shouldn't she have been charged with murder? No, no, because it was an accident. They classified it as an accident because according to the police, her and her mother, Judy Bishop, described the shooting as accidental. So there was nothing they could do. I mean, I, obviously there was something they could have. Didn't she at least have been charged with manslaughter? Obviously not. They decide not to press charges. That makes no sense. So, after a brief inquiry into the incident by the state police, because, no offense, but this accidental report raised some red flags with the state police, so they did it, they decided that the Braintree police were right and that the shooting was accidental, and the district attorney, Bill DeHunt, later a U.S. congressman, decided not to file charges. And... That's not right. It's not, but here's the real real weird part. 
any of the detailed records kept by the Braintree police mysteriously disappeared by 1988, which is two years after the incident. Of course they did. Yep. When asked about it on February the 13th, 2010, the Braintree Police Chief Paul Frazier said that the report's gone and removed from the files by someone. Like, where did they go? What happened? How'd they disappear? I don't know. But I do know that it's awfully odd, especially since she wasn't a minor, that the file wouldn't still be there. So, uh, after speaking with officers involved in the case in 1983, Frazier called the accident description inaccurate and that the then-chief, John Polio, ordered Bishop released to her mother and a member of the Braintree Town Meeting who reportedly had demanded to meet with Polio personally after the arrest instead of being charged for the shooting. So, Frazier was not on duty during the incident, but recalled how frustrated the members of the department were over the release. The now-retired Polio denied that there had been a cover-up, and Frazier's 2010 account and the 1987 Massachusetts State Police report differ in several key details, including whether Bishop had been arguing with her brother or with her father before the shooting. Wait, so where was her father during all of this? At somewhere, I guess. So, um, on February the 16th, 2010, it was announced the files previously declared missing had been located by the Braintree officials and turned over to Norfolk County prosecutors. The Norfolk County District Attorney William Keating concluded, based on these files, that probable cause existed in 1986 to arrest and charge her for crimes committed after she fled the house. She had taken the shotgun to a nearby auto dealership shop and brandished it at two employees in an attempt to get a car. So now she's brandished it on the road and at an auto dealership. She could have been charged with assault with a dangerous weapon, carrying a dangerous weapon, and unlawful possession of ammunition. The statute of limitations has expired. Not a murder. Well, that's what I was about to get to. The district attorney looking at it said that those three um, charges, the statute of limitations has expired on each of them. And the most serious charge considered in 1986 was manslaughter. So basically, this incited the governor of Massachusetts to tell the police to start looking back into this and they were trying to see what they could get her with. Now, um, as of right now, she's in jail because in 2012, she pled guilty to all of this. Good. Um, it was on September the 11th, 2012, that Bishop pled guilty to the above charges, and in order to avoid the death penalty, the jury heard a condensed version of all of the evidence from the, uh, the shooting, not of her brother, because this was in Alabama. She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of, of parole on September 24, 2012, which is where she remains in prison good she needs to be in prison like it, that's just a crazy story and it it gets me every time that i look into it now because of the fight so i mean and she's also been indicted for her brother's murder by other um by the massachusetts police but i couldn't find any information on how that turned out so it may still be being legally decided or decided in another way or it may be that she can't be charged until Alabama released her because a life sentence is only 25 years. And she was 44 at the time of the accident. So, 
she'd be in her 60s, 70s when she gets out. Wait, why is a life sentence only 25 years? I don't know. I I don't I don't know if it was set back when we had like shorter lifespans. Yeah, but lifespans were still more than 25 years. Well, yeah, but I mean also, after 25 years, I mean you're no longer the same person you were. And a lot of people don't make it out of prison anyways, like unchanged. So I don't know. I, I definitely think that when she's released, there will probably be some conditions to her release. Because to me, it sounds like she really needed to be psychoanalyzed or something well before this happened. And it also sounds to me that her family knew it way before she went off and got married and had four kids. Um, so really and truly, I feel like this is Whoever decided to cover up for her in the death of her brother, this is partially their fault. Oh, most definitely. Because they chose to ignore and deny something when clearly she needed help of some kind. And some jail then too, but some help while she was in jail. She needed a lot of help. She had a lot of anger. But yeah, no, that's that's all I have on her. Um, oh yeah, oh, I've got some pictures to send you. That way you can put it up on the Instagram. Because she's she's definitely crazy. Um, yeah, and you can see those pictures on our Instagram at creepy underscore crime underscore podcasts on Instagram. Right, and if you want to get updates on the show or just ask questions, maybe give us a few ideas for future episodes, you can find us at Crime Creepy on Twitter. Or you can email us at creepycrimepod at gmail.com. I was about to say, I've I've forgotten the email. Uh, yeah, I really need to check it again. I'm really bad at checking it. But I think we got our first email. I need to double check and see if they've responded because I emailed them back. Okay. Was it like someone asking a question or? I'm not positive because it was in a different language. I think it was in like Arabic. And so I had to put it into Google Translator. So I'm not sure I answered it correctly because I have the then go back through Google Translate. So if it's not, I'm sorry. All right. Well, uh, it... Oh, she is crazy. Yeah. No, I just sent Allie the picture for her to put up on Instagram. And guys, you need to go check it out. Um, if, if you do speak another language, then we... We will try our best and we'll have to put it through Google Translate. So just be patient with us. Right. Like, we try our best. Um, like, if you message us in French... We might can help you, maybe German, uh, but we're not making any promises because we're both really iffy in those areas. But yeah, no, guys, we would love to hear from more of y'all, so find us on Twitter, Instagram, or email us, and we hope y'all have a wonderful and safe week. Till we meet again. Bye! Bye.